Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Lord, word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's, let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. We know that it is living and active. And so, God, I ask that you would continue to move and work as we worship you through the proclamation of your words. God, I ask that you would continue to build a solid foundation here in this new church that you are planting. May it be built up on the foundation of a delight in you, And in your word, and may we be built upon Jesus, the cornerstone. So please speak this morning through your word. May these be your words, not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Go ahead and open up. If you have your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, we are going to be continuing our study of 1 Peter this morning, and we are in week four of our study of 1 Peter. As we are going through the book of 1 Peter, I would encourage all of you to be in this, in this book on your own, reading the word on your own. There is so much good stuff in the book of 1 Peter that we can't get to all of it in our sermons on Sunday morning, um, so make sure that you are spending your own time studying the book of 1 Peter and then showing up to a city group throughout the week with an excitement and an expectation um, that God is going to move and work there in our smaller gatherings as we interact with the word with one another. 
And then be ready to share these truths with the people that God has put around you. Be ready to share these good truths with your kids and with your families and coworkers and neighbors. And so don't just be spectators of the book of First Peter, okay? But be engaged in this book with us. And at the end of this series, as we get done preaching through the book of First Peter, there are some key words and phrases that I would love for you to remember when you think of the book of First Peter. And they are phrases that I've been repeating and will continue to repeat until they stick in your mind, okay? So 1 Peter is all about having hope in hardships. Hope in hardships. And also another phrase is hardships produce holiness. We don't just endure hardships and pursue holiness, but many times we pursue holiness by enduring hardships. And we have such a good God that many times he takes our hardships, he turns them into blessings, and he fills them with meaning. And now let me give you a quick recap of the book of 1 Peter so far. So chapter one, verses one and two, Peter was writing an opening greeting to the Christians uh, that would be receiving this letter. And he addresses them as elect exiles. As Christians, we must remember that we are exiles. We are temporary residents in a foreign place. But we are not exiles by accident or by chance, but we are elect exiles. We are chosen by God and adopted into his family. And then we saw in verses 3 through 12 that he goes into a section that is all about praising God and worshiping the Lord because he knows that the remedy for our heavy hearts when they are in hardships is for our hearts to do what they were created to do, and that is to worship God. And then we learned what we can worship God for, that according to his great mercy in Christ, we have been given a new life and a new hope and a new faith. And it is a faith that is being guarded by the power of God, and it is being strengthened through these trials that we might face. And last week, then, we looked at verses 13 through 21, and we learned our call to be holy, a call to be separate from sin and set apart to God. And we learned that the call to be holy is not just a call to try harder or just to be better, but no, it is a call to live out who we are in Christ, to enjoy him, to follow him as we set our hope fully on him and all the while living with a healthy fear of God and living in awe of him. And now we arrive at chapter 1, verse 22. So look with me again here um, at chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Here we see a call to love one another to sincerely love one another. Now, this can be easier said than done, right? 
I mean, I know as a young church plant, being three weeks old, it might seem really easy to love one another right now, okay? We could become arrogant and cocky thinking, hey, we're not gonna be like all those other churches that bicker and fight and gossip about one another. No, we're gonna be a church that loves one another, a true gospel community that does life together. But let me just warn you to hesitate about some of that arrogance that this is gonna be easy because it is not an easy command to love one another. So I'm not trying to squash anyone's dreams here. We do strive to be a community that loves one another, that enjoys the gospel, that can be a true community and and family together. But let's remember that we are three weeks old. And right now, everyone is loving and happy And as I read this first passage, as I read the first part of this passage, I was prayerfully considering what God would want me to to preach through to Franklin City Church, and I almost just kind of skim-read this passage because I thought, Franklin City Church, love one another, check. Like, we've got that. We do that. We love one another. But no, no, no. God had to gently slap me upside the head and remind me that we are young and we are only a few weeks old and that a true, sincere love for one another will have to be fought for, and it will have to be protected. And so this passage is a good reminder to us, your pastors, to be ready ready for and be committed to walking with you through life and through church life, especially when that new church smell wears off and our love for one another starts getting put to the test. Because isn't this why a lot of people church hop? Right? I mean, they love their new church. They love the new people in the church. They think everyone's awesome and it's this great loving environment. But then a few years go by and they get to know those people. And those people now start to annoy them or start to kind of rub them the wrong way or maybe they get hurt or offended by something that someone did in the church. And then instead of really pressing in into the gospel community and really working through things, they find it easier just to go find the next new church and the new people that they can get to know. And hey, those new people are great there until a few years down the road. Then they start annoying them, and then they move on, and then they move on, and then they move on. And the end of the road for church hoppers is usually a couch and a tub of ice cream watching a sermon online, okay? That's how that road ends. Don't go down that road, okay? That's where it ends. The command to love one another is an extremely difficult command because if we could be honest, sometimes we don't even like one another, right? But we are commanded to love one another, to sincerely love one another, It is a difficult command, but it is not an impossible command. It is not an impossible command when we understand the source of our love and what sustains our love. We must understand the source of this love and what sustains this love. So to look at the source, look at verse 23. Since you have been born again through the living and abiding word of God, The word of God caused us to be born again and have a new life. God's word creates new life. God speaks and things are created. God calls out to dead men and they walk out of tombs. God speaks to our hearts and makes them alive. So God's word caused us to be born again and now we have new hearts that can truly love one another because they are hearts that have encountered the love of God themselves. 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. 
Well, what does it look like to love one another? Our passage is going to help us with understanding what loving one another looks like by showing us what it doesn't look like, okay? Look at uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander are not what it looks like to love one another. Having malice in your heart is having a heart with a disposition that wants to hurt people or to have harm towards somebody. Deceit is all about concealing or misrepresenting the truth. Hypocrisy is a type of deceit. It's not wanting to people to really know who you are or the real you. Envy is being discontent with what God has given you and wanting what someone else has instead. And slander is speaking falsely about someone or maybe even gossiping some truth about them but shedding it in in a bad light. So listen, church plant, listen, three-week-old church. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander will all try to creep into this church and destroy the love that we have for one another. It's not if they try to creep in, it's when they try to creep in. And Peter says, put these away and love one another. But how are we to do this? He gives us some help. Look at verse two. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Pure spiritual milk is referring to the word of God. The word of God is the source of our love. It's what brought new life. It's what caused us to be born again. And it is what sustains our love for one another. And in the same way that babies long for milk, followers of Jesus should long for the word of God. Now, some of you guys have been around newborns recently, right? You've got some experience to what it, you know what it feels like and sounds like to be around a newborn that's crying and hungry, okay? Some of you, maybe it's been a few years in the past, but you can kind of put yourself in that situation and remember what it's like to be around a newborn that's hungry. And if you've never been in that experience before, we can, we can set something up to have you shadow in the nursery, okay? I'll make sure I preach extra long that Sunday so you can really get the full experience of what a hungry baby sounds like, okay? But think about a newborn who is just crying and shrieking for milk. What will ultimately stop the outcry? So I've had some experience in this regard, okay? So when my boys were babies, when they were newborns, they would wake up crying and shrieking for milk, Now, I've had the joy on occasion of being the one to go get them. Now, full disclosure, typically Brittany has been the one to go get them, and and I don't think she's had a full night's rest in over five years, okay? Uh, But on occasion, I've been the one to go into the room as, as one of our boys has woken up hungry and crying. Now, initially, when I open the door, the cries subside for a second, and then they look and see that it's dad and not mom. And their face, it's, it, it, it's not mad right at first, it's more just disappointed, right, that they see dad, not mom, right? But then their face gets mad, and they cry and they shriek 10 times worse than before because they know I don't have what they need. They ultimately need milk, right? 
but let's say I try to sing them a lullaby, all right? Like, it might tickle their ears, it might subside them for a little bit, and it might quiet their cry for a time, but then they remember that they're hungry. Or what if I did a silly dance and I gave them something to look at and something to chuckle and laugh about? It might quiet them for a time, but then they remember that they are hungry. Or I might give them a pacifier and it kind of distracts them and gives gives them something to do and quiets them for a time, but then they remember that they are hungry. And listen, one of the reasons we planted this church and one of the reasons we want you to tell others about this church is because we have sensed an outcry amongst the children of God for pure spiritual milk. There is a hunger and a longing and an outcry from the people of God, not for lullabies that tickle their ears, not for silly dances or jokes to distract them or make them laugh, not for activities to misdirect them, but the people of God are crying out for the word of God to nourish their souls. And so those emotions that you feel when you maybe see on TV and you see a starving, malnourished child with a really sad soundtrack in the background, right? Those emotions that you feel, that is how I feel when I look at the state of the church. I see starving, hungry children of God, and it breaks my heart. And the call from the very beginning, my call to ministry was from John 21 when Jesus is talking to Peter. And God pounded on my heart and mind those words that he said to Peter. He said, feed my sheep. Not entertain his sheep, not distract his sheep, not occupy or babysit his sheep, but to feed his sheep. And so by the grace of God here at Franklin City Church, We will feed the people of God the word of God. And I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Not that I'm good, not that Franklin City Church is that good, not that church planting is that good, but that the Lord is good. And I want you to to walk out of here and not say, that was a good service. I want you to say, that is a good God. That is my prayer when I pray for us this morning that we would not put together something to just entertain you or occupy you and that you would walk out of here and say, man, what a good service or good church. I want you to walk out of here and say, what a good God. And to taste and see that the Lord is good is to encounter him and experience him for yourself. It's not just knowing about that the Lord is good. It's not just hearing that the Lord is good. It's not just reading that the Lord is good. It's not just singing that the Lord is good. But to taste that the Lord is good is a personal experience. And that is my prayer for every man, woman, and child in here, is that they would taste for themselves that the Lord is good. When you get a taste of the good stuff, you start to lose your taste for all the worthless stuff. You want to know how to put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. You taste the good stuff. The sweetness and the richness of God and his word will make all the other stuff you were snacking on, like envy and slander, seem like garbage. You see, before Christ, we were eating Lunchables until we tasted the filet, right? We've tasted the filet, and it is sweet. He is good. 
So now with God's word sustaining us and giving us a new taste, that malice in our heart starts transforming into love. That deceit in our heart starts getting taken over by truth. When we are delighting in God's word, our hypocrisy is being replaced with authenticity. Our envy is replaced with joy. And our slander is being replaced with encouragement. And so that is what we, were, we are praying would develop here, that we would be a church that proclaims and delights in God's word, and that as a result, we would have a love for one another, that this would be a community full of joy, living authentic lives together and encouraging one another. John 13, 34 and 35 says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It is a love that is from God and is sustained by him in his word. Look back at 1 Peter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone." and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Here Peter starts pointing to Jesus as the fulfillment of some Old Testament prophecies and, and that he is the cornerstone. So he's referring to Isaiah 28, 16, which says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. He's referring to Psalm 118.22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He's also referring to Isaiah 8.14. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. These verses are saying that Jesus is either the cornerstone or he's a stumbling block. He's either what you are being built upon or he is what you are tripping over, okay? In, in ancient architecture, the cornerstone was the main stone placed at the foundational corner of the building. It was usually one of the biggest stones, one of the most solid stones, and it was the standard upon which all the other stones were lined up and placed. It was an important foundational starting point for a structure if it was going to keep the right alignment and be built solidly. Now, Jesus is a living stone. He's not dead. He's alive. And he is the cornerstone that God is building upon a spiritual house. People will either recognize him as the cornerstone and be built upon him, or they will reject him and they will trip over him. 
We see he's either the cornerstone or he's a stumbling block. He's either your everything or he's offensive to you. There is no room for middle ground. The Bible makes no room for this middle ground where we could just teach that Jesus was just a good teacher or just a wise prophet or he can't just be your homeboy or your co-pilot, right? No, Jesus is either the rock that you are building everything upon or he is offensive and you are stumbling over him. 1 Peter 2, 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. In the context of this letter as a whole, this is a huge encouragement to the believers that were receiving this. These were believers that were being persecuted and suffering for their faith by people that were stumbling over Jesus, right? And Peter is saying, take heart, persecution and the people tripping over Jesus has always been a part of the plan. It's not an accident. It was prophesied about in Isaiah and in the Psalms that there would be people that would stumble over Jesus and as a result are now persecuting you. This wasn't an accident. This has all been a part of the plan and purpose of God. So take heart. And then Peter says, in the same way that Jesus is the living stone and a cornerstone, so too followers of Jesus are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. And understanding this imagery of what we are being built up as and what we are being built up for will be incredibly helpful to us in understanding how to handle hardships and how God turns them into blessings and fills them with meaning. You see, when you understand that you are a living stone being built upon cornerstone Jesus into a spiritual house for God to be a holy priesthood to offer sacrifices to him, then this changes how we understand the hits and blows that we take in life. You see, before reading this passage, you might feel like in the midst of your trials, like you're a rock that a little boy is playing with. You might feel like he's just hammering you, he's holding you underwater, he's throwing you, he's kicking you, he's spitting on you, and it seems like there's no rhyme or reason to why he is doing this to this rock. It feels like maybe he's just taking out all his frustrations on this rock for no good reason. That's my, maybe how you feel in the midst of hardships. Like, like, what was the plan and purpose behind all this? It feels like God's just taking out his frustrations on me and I'm getting hit after hit and blow after blow for no reason. But then you read 1 Peter 2, 5, which says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. And you realize, no, we're not rocks being carelessly smashed by a little boy. No, we are stones in the hand of a skilled mason who is chiseling and hammering and molding us to be perfectly set upon the cornerstone of the temple of God, the new dwelling place of the Lord. And Elizabeth Elliot, who knew something about hardships and suffering, said this. She said, our vision is so limited we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in protection from suffering. The love of God did not protect his own son. He will not necessarily protect us, not from anything it takes to make us like his son. A lot of hammering and chiseling and purifying by fire will have to go into the process. 
We are like stones in the hand of a skilled mason who is chiseling, hammering, and molding us to be perfectly set upon the cornerstone of the temple of God. Back in the Old Testament in Exodus, we saw God be with his people as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night as he was leading them out of Egypt. He then was present with them in the tabernacle as they wandered the wilderness. Then later, his presence filled the temple. Later, his presence had to depart from the temple due to the sins of his people. But then Jesus, being fully God, fully man, came and dwelt among us. He tabernacled amongst us, and he walked amongst human beings. And through his life, death, and resurrection, he paid the penalty for sin so that we could once again dwell with God. And then when Jesus returned to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to to reside and dwell with believers. And so now, followers of Jesus, the people of God, are the true temple and household of God. And as you continually keep going to Christ in worship and prayer and his word and being with his people, he is continually chiseling you and hammering you so that you are being built up into a spiritual temple, a place where God more and more fully dwells. Well, we are not only living stones being built upon cornerstone Jesus, we also now have some priestly duties. We are a holy priesthood. And in the Old Testament, the priesthood started with Aaron, Moses' brother, and it continued on through the tribe of Levi. And if there, uh, it was their responsibility as the priest to make sacrifices to God according to the Mosaic law. And only the high priest had the privilege of going into the Holy of Holies, into God's presence. But when Jesus came, who was the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God, when he died on the cross, the temple's veil was torn, and God could once again dwell with his people. And Jesus then became our great high priest. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 says this, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever. We no longer have an elite priesthood with special privileges or access to God. You don't need a pastor or a priest to obtain access to God. You need Jesus, and through Jesus, we all can have access to God and go to him at any time. That's why Hebrews 4.16 can now say, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. You don't need a pastor and a priest to obtain access to God. You need Jesus, and through Jesus we have access to God, and you can go to him anytime to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, so we've talked about what we are. We are living stones being built into a spiritual house. We are also a chosen race and a holy nation. Peter is applying to the church the language that the Old Testament used when it referred to Israel, the people of God. 
The church is now included in the people of God. Both Jew and Gentile, we are one in Christ. We are born again. We are chosen. And now as a people born of God, we are one race, not because of our skin color or ethnicity, but because we have a royal blood flowing through our veins. When we trust in Christ, we are born again. And side note, if you have any race superiority issues or hatred of others because of their skin color, you need to repent of that and turn to Christ. What you are seeing on the news and what we've seen on the news the past few months especially is people apart from Christ that all have malice and hatred in their heart because of sin. And it is leaking out when opportunities are given that they feel like they can justify their hatred towards others. What you are seeing on TV is not ultimately because of their hatred of someone else, because of their skin color, their politics, or their beliefs. You are seeing the depths and depravity of the human heart apart from Christ, and you are seeing it show its ugly head when people feel like they have a reason that they can justify it or get away with it. So repent of the malice and the hatred in your heart and turn to Christ and embrace that all human beings, regardless of what shade of skin color they have, we have all been created in the image of God and therefore are created to reflect God's glory. And now those who are followers of Jesus are unified as one, not by skin color or ethnicity, but by the blood of Christ. We are living stones. We are a chosen race. We are a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood. But what are we to do as, royal, as a royal priesthood? Well, just like the priest did, we are to offer sacrifices. The sacrifices we offer, though, are no longer goats, lambs, or bulls, right? Now we offer spiritual sacrifices through our lives. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And even more practically, we offer spiritual sacrifices through our words and through our actions. So hear this from uh, Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So there's our words. There's our sacrificial words, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And there's our our actions and what we do can be sacrifices to God. We offer sacrifices through our words, through our actions, and through our lives. And then Peter is going to keep going and help us to see even more specifically what these spiritual sacrifices look like and what we are to be proclaiming through our words, actions, and lives. So go back to 1 Peter now, chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
This helps us so much with the why questions. Like, why did God create me? Why did God choose me? Why did God save me? Why is God allowing hardships in my life? He is allowing those so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are to offer spiritual sacrifices that are pleasing to God through lives, through words, and through actions that proclaim his excellencies. And these sacrifices are only acceptable because of what Jesus has accomplished for us and in us. You see, before Christ, we wanted to proclaim our excellencies, not his. We wanted people to think that we were so great, that we were a big deal, that we were worthy of glory and worship. And the good news is that God has called us out of that darkened way of thinking and into his marvelous light. And it is a light that is so marvelous that as we live in it, we are now losing our taste to want to proclaim our own excellencies because we have tasted that the Lord is good and now our whole lives are offered up to him as a living sacrifice. You see, in life we experience many difficulties, but those difficulties are temporary and they will soon be forgotten for they were merely preparing us to proclaim the excellencies of God. And it will take all eternity just to scratch the surface of talking about and proclaiming the excellencies of God. We are chosen, royal, and holy so that we would proclaim his excellencies. Maybe you right now are in the midst of hardships or struggles and wondering, why would God allow this? He's allowing this so that your life would proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently, or maybe you have a relative who is ill and very sick, and you are wondering, why would God allow this? He's allowing this so that you would proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Maybe you've lost a job or you're struggling financially and wondering, why would God be allowing this? He is allowing this so that you would proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Or maybe you're suffering from anxiety, depression, or loneliness and wondering how long you are going to have to struggle with these things and why would God be allowing this? Are you guys catching on yet? He's allowing this so that you would proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Johnny Erickson Tata, when she was 17 years old, dove into shallow water suffering neck fractures and a spinal cord injury that left her without the use of her legs or her hands. And listen to this excerpt from her book, A Place of Healing. She shared about her visit to Paris. She said, I'll never forget years ago when I had a chance to visit Notre Dame Cathedral while I was in Paris. There it was, almost 1,000 years old, standing there so huge and dirty. 
I had never seen such a dirty cathedral. After hundreds of years of soot, dust, and smoke, Notre Dame was covered in layers of black grime. It was even difficult to make out the beautiful carvings and details on the exterior. But then the grand old cathedral went through a year-long restoration. Scaffolding was erected and the entire exterior was sandblasted. And I was stunned when I saw a recent photograph of the cathedral. It was beautiful and so very different from the way I remembered it. The ancient stones glowed bright and golden. You could see details on carvings that hadn't been visible in decades. It was like a different cathedral. What a wonder a bit of sandblasting can accomplish. When I use the word sandblasting and when I think of how that process changed that cathedral in Paris, I can't help but consider the way God uses suffering to sandblast you and me. There's nothing like real hardships to strip off the veneer in which you and I so carefully cloak ourselves. Heartache and physical pain reach below the superficial surface places of our lives, stripping away years of accumulated indifference and neglect. When pain and problems press up against the holy God, suffering can't help but strip away years of dirt. Affliction has a way of jackhammering our character, shaking us up and loosening our grip on everything we hold tightly. But the beauty of being stripped down to the basics, sandblasted until we reach a place where we felt empty and helpless, is that God can fill us up with himself. When pride and pettiness have been removed, God can fill us with Christ in you, the hope of glory. And in concluding this morning's sermon, church, we are to love one another as we have been loved by God. It is a love that is from God. It is, he is the source of our love, and it is what is sustained by. It is sustained by the word of God. And may we with joy then embrace the process of being sandblasted, chiseled, and hammered, and being built upon Jesus, our cornerstone. And may our hardships and trials result in us proclaiming the excellencies of God who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous, marvelous light.